Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. Your greatest fulfillment in life will come from being related to the one who made you and who builds that intimate relationship with you and guides you every step of the way. Welcome back to Just Thinking. Relativism is the idea that views are relative to differences in perception and consideration. And it states that there is no universal objective truth according to relativism. Rather, each point of view has its own truth. So can relativism and Christianity coexist? Let's find out as we rejoin Ravi Zacharias and RZIM speaker Sam Alberry in a Q&A series from Hamilton, Canada. But first, we'll hear a question about homosexuality. Um, I was recently watching a convocation where a professor had spoken about the fact that the Bible never referred to homosexuality as a noun, but only... um, yeah, as a verb, as an action word. And um, my question to you is, um, is it okay for a Christian to identify uh, as homosexual, providing that they're not practicing uh, homosexuality? Let me say a couple of general things before I, I try to answer the specifics. The, the first general thing is that the, the teaching of Jesus by implication shows us that all of us are, are broken in this area of life. So this isn't an issue that is just specific to one subset of people. This is, this is something all of us have to come to terms with. Um, the fact is that, that our sin taints every area of life and that includes our sexuality. So all of us actually are are disordered and broken in this area of life and therefore all of us need to to come to Christ to learn how to follow him. There are going to be certain desires that we're going to need to say no to, certain things that we're going to be needing to seek forgiveness for. So that the gospel does level the playing field on that issue. And whether we are attracted to men or, or women or both, we're disordered in this area of life. Um, the way that disorder manifests itself in our lives will vary from person to person. Uh, Some people may describe themselves as being attracted to the same sex. Um, Other people will will describe themselves as being attracted to the opposite sex and there'll be other, other experiences as well. If we're Christians, we know that our identity is not found in those particular feelings. Mm -hmm. They can often be very, very deep. They can feel very personal, but they are not the core of our identity. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's it's healthy for a Christian to use uh, the language of of that kind of temptation and to make it their identity. And that that may address the the first part of the question in terms of the the noun versus the verb. One of the great things about being a follower of Jesus is that not everything that describes me defines me. That's liberating. Mm -hmm. And especially my temptations. 
The second part of the question, I, I would say, it's not just a distinction between having certain feelings and acting on them, because actually, Jesus says it's not just about our physical behavior, it's about our, our heart and our attitude. So he says in the Sermon on the Mount that even if you look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So it's not enough for us to say, well, I, I entertain all of these thoughts in my mind, but as long as I never give them physical expression, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Jesus says actually that, that the battle for godliness, the battle for obedience is in our minds, it's in our hearts. So the issue is, I think, the distinction is, is not necessarily between having feelings and acting on them so much as having temptations and yielding to them. Mm -hmm. All of us experience temptation. The vast majority, if not all of us, will experience some forms of sexual temptation. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that when we experience temptation, we're, we're to flee it, we're to remain faithful. Uh, there are certain thoughts we're not to, we're not to indulge in, we're not to, to give space to in our hearts and minds. And again, that is the case for, for every single one of us. Uh, so this question is for uh, Mr. Zacharias. To what extent can relativism and Christian belief coexist in harmony uh, with the kind of presupposition that relativism kind of implies that absolutes don't exist? So really it's that kind of dichotomy. You know, the amazing thing is relativists never really tell you relative to what. It's fine to say I'm a relativist, but to what? Are you only to yourself? Are you to the time of the day? Are you who's watching? I remember we were in one university, uh, one guy walked up to the microphone and he said, uh, what are you guys so afraid of relativism, you know? Uh, you know, what, what, are you, what are you so afraid of relativists? Uh, there's relativists, so it's okay, you know, are, are you such so in love with absolutes that you're just so fearful of relativism? So I said to him, uh, do you lock your doors at night? And he just stared at me. I said, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of the relativists on your street or are you afraid of the absolutists who believe in a moral law? And that was the end of that interaction because uh, he, he knew that uh, we simply cannot absolutize relativism because first of all, it doesn't tell you relative to what. Number two, it uh, tells you that the dangers are huge when each person is relative to their own ethic or to within their own culture. My mother used to say, once you've cut off a person's nose, there's no point giving them a rose to smell. You can't destroy the person and then preach some great platitudes or nobilities or whatever. You have to keep their dignity intact. The reason I give you that illustration is because it starts with the assumption that you and I are created in the image of God. And that value I have to always give you intrinsically. If relativists start off with the assumption that I am at a freedom to do whatever I wish to do, the fact of the matter is, they are being autonomous. They're a law unto themselves. And when two autonomous individuals meet each other, the bigger one may be left standing after that, and that's not the kind of culture we really want. So to what degree do we uh, tolerate relativism? It's a well-asked question. We are living in a culture where we do interact with relativists, but I have to remind the relativist that he is either relative only to himself, and if that's the case, you ought to give me the same privilege. 
And my privilege then is to, to relate not to myself, but to relate to absolutes. And that absolutes come from, the, come from the unchanging character of God. So I govern my life, at least we attempt to govern our lives, with the character of God. We may have to put up with the relativists that are all around us, and uh, all you end up with then is, in that case, is a constantly changing, fluctuating law. And the person next to you may be, be the strongest one in the block who gets rid of all of the others and it becomes a superman. When Parmenides gave a one line about reality, he said, whatever is, is. When Heraclitus came along, he came and said, no, no, whatever is, is changing. You do not enter into the same river twice. Kratlis came along and went even one better. He said, actually, you don't even step into the same river once because not only is the river changing, you're changing all along at the same time. Relativism will bring the constancy of change. There will be no longer an absolute by which to judge anything, and you end up with a culture that is totally autonomous and will be total chaos and conflict in the end. That's why the Lord reminds us that he gives us the moral law because he's also given us framework and he's given us the intrinsic worth of every human being. You deny that first premise and relativism is destroying not only the discussion, it's destroying the ones with whom you're discussing it and that becomes self-defeating. Yeah. Can we have a closing statement? Yes, please, Rami. We've talked of some very delicate issues. And you have been such a courteous audience. There may be some of you whom have been greatly disagreeing and saying, I totally disagree with that. I want to thank you so much for the kindness and courtesy with which you have given both of us a hearing. I have no doubt that these subjects are truly very volatile in our culture and getting more and more volatile all the time. Rather than look at us and listen to us and what our answers are, may I propose just two things to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, take the Gospel of John and read it through. May I suggest to you what a friend of mine suggests? Read it three times through completely and ask the Lord and the author of that book if Jesus is who he claims to be to reveal himself to you. And as you read the Gospel of John, you'll see the utter beauty of this person of Jesus. Uh, Sam was talking about the conversation with the woman at the well. You see the sides of the truth and the lights that it captures that are so magnificent, whether he's talking to Nicodemus or he's talking to the woman at the well, a teacher or a woman with five broken homes and five broken marriages whom he put back together and made her the first evangelist to the Samaritan world. That's the first thing I would say to you. Come to the word and have him speak to you. Number two, if you genuinely want answers to these questions, you will have to find life's purpose. And that's why Augustine, who lived a sensually driven life, came to the book of Romans, not in chambering or wantonness, not in rioting or drunkenness, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the desires thereof. We all struggle with the flesh. We all do. And the Lord Jesus reminds us that this is the only worldview where you don't go to the temple, but you take the temple with you when you go to worship. So I would just say to you, we are merely human. We have speakers. We have speakers. We have ideas. We may not have all the answers for you, but we know the one who does. And as you go to the word and ask him to speak to you 
and to correct you where you are wrong and to confirm you where you are right. And when you worship him in spirit and in truth, you will find out what Sam has truly said. Your greatest fulfillment in life will come from being related to the one who made you and who builds that intimate relationship with you and guides you every step of the way. We don't attempt to change any heart because it'll be a flawed beginning. Only God is big enough to change that heart. So I invite you to go to the Gospel of John, invite him to speak to you and ask him for the miracle that only he can perform. Only Christ is big enough to fill your heart with wonder and make you the temple of the living God. That's the way I would leave the truth with you. As Robbie said earlier in this Q&A series, the best compliment God has ever given to us is that we are made in His image. We hope you'll take time to read more about the topic of our identity in Christ, and we have a lot of great resources on our website at rzim.org, or for those in Canada, that web address is rzim.ca. You can listen to this program again on our website by clicking on the Listen tab. Or purchase a copy of this entire series by calling us at 1-800-448-6766 and asking for the title Hamilton Open Forum. And if you'd like to support our ministry as we strive to reach those on college campuses, encourage churches, and answer questions from Christians and skeptics, be sure to call us or donate online. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia.